last week, uh, Danny, were you guys here? Talked about the intro, right? What did he tell you? <laughs> this is the way all substitute teachers start, right? What did you do yesterday? <laughs> Let me just went into a little bit of definition of what's a creed, what's a, what's a confession, what's a confession between creeds and confessions. And all right, so you guys got all of that. So why, why the Baptist confession versus the Westminster or any of those others? Why do we look at? Why was it written? Was that talked about? Yes. What? Why? Why was it written? It was. Westminster was um, pointedly Presbyterian, um, therefore Pado-Baptist, and the London Baptist was kind of a, yeah, we agree with almost everything that's in there, but we need to tweak it. So what other things were going on? What crazy Baptists were out there in the early 1600s? Right after Martin Luther in 15, 19, 15, 20, when all that happened, what was going on? both politically and historically in the church. Anybody know who the Anabaptists, Anabaptists were? Yeah. Remember those guys? Only by name. Yeah, that's what I thought Well, unfortunately, the Baptist name with that stuck. And so that guy is literally put into a cage on top of a church in uh, Munster, Germany, and left there. And the cage is still there today. If you ever go to Munster, you go to that church, you can see the cage that this guy was left to die in. So the Catholic Church at that time had a real problem with these guys. Doctrinally, theologically, so do we. Some of the things that they were uh, pronouncing, hey, we can interpret Scripture for ourselves. We get that from Martin Luther. All this stuff is great, so this is how we see the world and how we see Scripture. So they started to interpret Scripture to their own ends. And they had multiple wives. They had all kinds of crazy stuff going on. So, when this was written, not only to align with the Westminster and the, and the, the uh, Presbyterians to show the differences, baptism, but also to say, hey, we align theologically with the Westminster. It's hugely important. This book, <clears throat> if you guys have seen any of the commentaries, this one's a little thick. There is a thing called General Baptists and Particular Baptists. You know what the difference of that is? It's actually pretty simple. General means they applied atonement generally to everyone. Particular meant they applied a particular atonement. In other words, limited atonement. If you look at TULIP and you look through that theology, that's a big difference between Arminianism and Calvinism. Election and free will. So you start looking at all those pieces. This confession is to align with the Westminster <clears throat> theological perspective. Make sense? So real general, when you think about Baptists, yeah, they were Baptists, but they were particular Baptists. This is very, very much against Arminianism. And they even say that in some of the intro letters that they wrote. Okay. So let's look at chapter 1. Somebody, does this have the old English in it? Mine does, I think. Or the, the little pamphlets? Um, I don't the V-Dad House? No, 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 this no, is just the... It doesn't. This is the one that we have that's a little more uh, uh, reader-friendly. So there are ten chapters, ten paragraphs in this first uh, chapter. 
And from an organizational standpoint, when you look at the confession, the first six chapters are about principles, the principles of the confession. 7 through 20 is about the covenant. It's also known as uh, federal covenant, federal theology, covenant theology instead of dispensationism. Okay? We'll get into that later. Uh, Christian liberty, Christian liberty, not human liberty, but Christian liberty and what that means. 21 through 30, and then the last things on the last two chapters. That's the overall organization of all 32 chapters, and you guys are taking 32 weeks to go through it? Yeah. Wow. So a chapter a week. That's going to be a long... (laughs) It's a huge drinking from a fire hose. That's a lot to cover. And we're already 50 minutes, 10 minutes into this, and we're going to talk about 10 paragraphs (laughs) of the first book. Okay? So, and then we'll talk about how that's laid out. Um, somebody read that first paragraph. Try to do it all in one, not one breath, because it's like one sentence. But in the old English or the regular or the new, whichever you prefer. But use your best teacher voice. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church, and afterward for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same holy unto writing, which maketh the holy scriptures to be most necessary, those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people now being ceased. Okay, the first chapter of this whole thing, this is it. Why is this the first paragraph of the first chapter of all 32 chapters of the London Baptist Confession? Don't say because that's the way Westminster was written, because it's very aligned very close to it. But what is it? that that says in just normal, plain English? Sufficiency of Scripture. Sufficiency of Scripture. And we look at paragraph 6. It's going to really nail that down. What else do you hear? There's another hint right here. Yeah. The plenary nature of Scripture. That it's complete. He's talking about it being complete. It lacks nothing. So we have plenary sufficiency but the necessity of why we have the Bible. This is necessary for what? Salvation. 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 Absolutely. Is it necessary to learn uh, the theory of relativity? (laughs) Um, How many dollars you have in your bank account? What house to buy? Who to marry? Is any of that in there? No. But what is? God's revealed will. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great statement. You'll see this throughout the whole confession. He uses, they use this phrase, let's see, usually to his pleasure. Where is that, Damien? Um, Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry, and, yeah. sundry times and diverse men. You'll see uh, to his pleasure. 
to God's will, to his pleasure. So it makes you, it starts to use that throughout the whole, whole book. You never thought of, of the fall of man as God's pleasure. Mm. And all the things just start to happen bad, it'll say his pleasure. It's his choice. He is in control. It gets into sovereignty in some other chapters, but the importance of who God is and what he wrote, it was his will to his pleasure, not ours, to his. And we often flip that around and start thinking about salvation for our good. It is, but it's to his glory always. That's super important. Uh, so necessity. Scripture is the only path which describes the nature of God and make known man's need for salvation. It's the only, because it does use the word only in there, I believe. Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, infallible rule of all what? How to drive a car? No. Saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. So, saving knowledge, faith, and obedience is what the Bible teaches and why it's here. The other part of that, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest what? The goodness, wisdom, and power of God, it leaves man without an excuse. So if you look at Romans 1, 21, through the end of the chapter, it talks about the nature is reveals God, but it's not enough to save you. So it's really important that you can't just go out into nature on a Sunday morning and be saved. God may reveal these things, but he usually uses Scripture as the way it's always based in Scripture to be saved. Thoughts, comments? You're talking about general revelation versus special revelation. Yes. General revelation only convicts humans. It only shows that God is perfect and we are not. But exactly. Special revelation shows us that he made Our a way for, for us to be reconciled. And by the way, we are saved. Why? Did you say why? From what? From. Oh, yeah. Are we saved from this crazy old earth? Ultimately, we are saved from God's wrath. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's why we are saved. Um, okay, we we got to go through this fairly quickly, but anything else in that first paragraph that jumps out at you? Just the ceasing. The last part about it. Yeah, there's uh, cessationism. Uh, back in the kind of the middle of it, therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterward for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and on and on and on. So it's the will of God. That's why it's been, it will be revealed. It's crazy. If you've ever read uh, Faulkner, uh, the guy from uh, Ole Miss, he writes in run-on sentences. So, you know, in times when you go back and you look at when this stuff was written, I don't know, maybe they just had like a limitation on periods and you had to make these sentences that were super long. Cormac McCarthy also writes like that, where it's just these sentences that are like a paragraph for one sentence. Paul. 
Yeah, Paul. Yeah, all right, so that last part, Damien, you mentioned, which maketh the Holy Scripture to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. What are the former ways? Did Prophecy. he reveal his will? Will reveal his will. Prophecy. Prophecy. <clears throat> Anything else? The sign gifts that were, gifts. you know, when... Uh, when the apostles were writing the, the New Testament, basically, um, mm -hmm. they were corroborating their writings by performing miracles. This is also <clears throat> an, a, direct, a direct attack on the Anabaptists mm -hmm. because they were being revealed God's will through this one speaker, and he came up with these crazy notions of what you should do, what we should do. So that also goes against like Mormonism, even though that wasn't invented at this time. But any church or religion that starts to I have a word from the Lord. Let's check that. Yeah. Let's look at it. Let's verify it with Scripture before we go off and find something we add to it. <clears throat> okay, so first chapter is about necessity. Second paragraph, not chapter. Uh, this one's pretty simple. It's the identity of what the Bible is. Now, we can read through that whole thing. Uh, I'll spare reading all 66 books, but under the name of the Holy Scriptures or the Word of God written are now contained in all the books of the Old and New Testament, which are these. And it goes through 66 books that we know and count as the Bible. Um, importantly, in the next chapter, it deals with <coughs> the Apocrypha. But before we get to that, um, there's something in here, the last sentence of chapter, paragraph 2. Uh, can somebody read that? All of which are given by the inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. Okay, so given by whom? The inspiration of God. Very important that scripture is not authored by man, it is inspired by God, authored by God. And then you'll see later on the word infallible used in one of the paragraphs. Why is that important? Why is what important? That, that statement. Oh. Why did they put that in? <clears throat> All of Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction. It goes right into 1 Timothy as the reference there. Why? But you think back 400, 300 X number of years ago, those yeah. things needed to be said because most of the church at that time, sacerdotalism, which basically meant all authority comes from the priest. Yeah. And they don't necessarily refer to the Bible as God's word. It's the priest that they listen to. So again, a lot of these things are written so that they could identify with Martin Luther, the separation from the Catholic universal church, and also with election, Calvinism and Arminianism. Well, I guess so, there were documents too that were circulating that weren't necessarily in alignment with the biblical text. Um, right. What we would consider the biblical text today, but as they were creating the canon throughout centuries. And it took hundreds of years for yeah. them to agree and all that. So we look at this today and go, well, yeah, of course, it's you know it's inspired by by the Holy Spirit. Not so much back then. It, it was really a pretty big debate. When we look at the Third paragraph, 
Um, this speaks very clearly about why the Apocrypha is not included. Could somebody read that paragraph? The books commonly called Apocrypha, not being of divine inspiration, are no part of the canon or rule of Scripture, and therefore are of no authority to the Church of God, nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of other than human writings. Than other human writings, sorry. Okay, pretty simple, black and white, unless you have grown up, or generations of you have grown up, including the Apocrypha in the Bible, like the Catholic Church. So again, point in time, history, why did they exclude it? Because of it's not inspired. Now, what is, I don't know if anybody's ever looked at it or read it or know anything about it. What are some things that could be in that Apocrypha that would be helpful just from a historical perspective? I think there's something there about the uh, Maccabean revolt. Right. When was that? It was actually the intertestamental, uh, between the testament period. So that 400 years between Micah and Matthew, what is it that happened? Does anybody know what happened with the, the Jewish uh, country, nation? Taken over by at least a couple of different. Uh, well, there was a Maccabean revolt, yeah. and that's when they go on top. I think that that plateau, Masada. <clears throat> yeah, Masada, okay. and that's that is the last nation of Israel before 1948. Mm. So you think about it. You we I often think okay, so the nation of Israel ended in Babylon. But that's not the truth. that's not the case. Until 1948, there was the Maccabean re uh, revolt, so that was still a nation. It was smaller and smaller on top of this this plateau, and then it ceased to exist until you know 2,000 years later, 2,400 years later. I think that's interesting, mm -hmm. but it's not inspired, not written by God, so that's why it's not in it. Any questions about that? Anybody grow up Catholic, for instance? It may have had that. Was that in the, the scriptures? I remember it being in the, I still have the Catholic Bible at home. I know it's yeah. in there. I don't remember us spending, I mean, we didn't spend a lot of time studying and reading the Bible per se. So. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but I know it's, a, yeah, I remember it being in there. I know it's in there. You would have enjoyed the, the real teacher, which is Nick, who grew up Catholic as well. So I'm sure he had a few things to say about it. I'm sure he will. Okay, chapter... Four, paragraph four, I kind of remember that. The authority of scripture. So now we get into four and five. Three is a part of identity. Four and five is about authority. Okay, so chapter, paragraph, golly, four. <clears throat> the authority of the Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed depended upon, not upon, i got to read this without the Old English, the authority of the, the Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author there, thereof. Therefore, it is to be received because it is the word of God. That's about authority. It's pretty simple what they're talking about is why would they write that in here? When you start looking at the words that are used. 
in the Catholic Church kind of determined before the printing press and people could read it for themselves. That was the only way to get the word in the church. Mm-hmm. It would be thought to be the authority. It probably, it, in, the, in essence, it was because that was where you got scripture, but it wasn't the authority because scripture is the authority. Yeah, that's that's true. So, as it says, not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. That's a pretty strong statement. It is God who is the author and the authority. Who's going to go against the authority of God? I mean, we look at it now and say, well, that's the ultimate authority. There's no question. Not so much. Yep. in the church prior to this point. The authority was who? Church. Yeah, it was the church. It was the priest. They had, uh, back then, church and state and government and everything was very intertwined. And not to go to a political uh, separation, but a lot of this was written specifically because of that. They and there wanted was, to make sure that they were separate from the government. There was also the idea that... Um, Yes, scripture was authoritative, but so was tradition. And a lot of times tradition trumps scripture. Yes, yeah, for sure. So it was up to the Pope to decide what was what was authoritative. More a higher priority or authority. Yeah. 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 So fortunately, the way this is written, it helps clarify that. Say, look, we go to the scripture, God was the author of this. It is the rule. And that was even codified in the Catholic doctrine, I believe, that it was a mixture of tradition mm-hmm. and scripture that informs their doctrine. Mm-hmm. And think about how the, the Israel's faith had become that as well. Yeah. Because they added how many things to those steps. And then Matthew really deals with trying to call that out uh, from the Pharisees at the time. Chapter... Paragraph five. <laughs> I'm going to let somebody else read that one. It's a long one. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the Church of God to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, and the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God. The full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation and many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof are arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. Hmm. Well done. Well done. It speaks for itself, sort of. Right? The Holy Spirit. Now we start talking about the purpose, the job, to, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit as far as the Bible goes. The entire book of the Holy Scriptures is to be believed for the path of man's salvation. Yes? <clears throat> and second, it is the infallible truth and divine authority. It is the work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness of the Word in our hearts. Thoughts? Anything that you guys see? In those words? Yeah, that we may be moved and induced by blah, 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 blah. We, humanly speaking, when reading these words, can say, oh, this has got to be from from God. But we can't 
completely, truly believe it all unless the Holy Spirit does its inward, his inward work in our hearts. Yeah. And, and that's uh, how many people have read the Bible and quote the Bible and say that they love the Bible but are not actually believers. I love the way that's written, too, where it says... Um, uh, the church of God to an high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures, the heavenliness of the matter, the mm -hmm. efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all its parts, the scope of the whole, which is to be the glory of God, the full discovery of it, makes of the only way of man's salvation. It says that, but then it goes through, it says, as beautifully as it may be written, as poetic as certain parts of the Bible may be, it's the Holy Spirit who changes your heart. Yep. Now, why is that important? Think about this from a theological perspective where other people may interpret Christianity differently. I can think of an Arminian reason why they could maybe mm. twist this. <clears throat> There's a little glimmer of goodness in all of us, and therefore, when we see the Word of God, we can actually believe it just because it, that glimmer of goodness allows us to see it. I may have yeah. enough goodness in me or enough intellect in me to ascend and, and, and align with what this says and then somehow become a Christian. I'm just smart enough. I can read this enough, and I can... I can push my will towards God, I'll probably be acceptable enough. And maybe if I hear a preacher who is really gifted at preaching, very persuasive in his tone, then maybe I can be saved based on how good of a speaker he was. Mm -hmm. Clear enough case this morning. That's wrong. That's heresy. Why? Holy Spirit that works. The Holy Spirit who is, and boy, that's the next chapter when it gets into the Trinity. You're going to do that in a week? <laughs> Good luck. It took them 400 years to figure that out. So, uh, yeah, you can do it in 45 minutes, I'm sure. I love how like, he beautifully describes, hey, the church is very, very, very powerful and impactful, yet it's the Holy Spirit that does the work that I'm bought and mm -hmm. empowers the work in you through all of these means. So the mm -hmm. church itself can be a very, very beautiful, impactful thing. And yeah. esteem and revere God and His holiness and His word. Yet it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. The Holy Spirit yeah. does the work. It's and, beautiful. And I think about what they're, they're saying and then, you know, going off base a little bit. But if you've ever been to St. Peter's in Rome or you've been to any number of the, the churches that have been created over the last 2,000 years, they're Ridiculously beautiful. They're, they're, they, to me, inspire worship. That was the reason that the Gothic mm -hmm. uh, architecture was made because it went high into heaven, ascended high into heaven. It was created with gold that was put into these places. Beautiful. Christ was born in a haystack, in a cave, basically. And you think about the, the, the difference between these two issues. When I think about the gospel and the Holy Spirit, creating the situation where Christ was born versus all of the glory that man can put into a building. And as an architect, yeah, I'm sure, pay me to do it. I'll come up with something cool. <laughs> but 
But that's not the Holy Spirit. All the powers of persuasion cannot save a single human being. You may think you are, but it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. Very important why they've got that in there. Okay. Paragraph 6. Hey. <laughs> Somebody hit that one. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word, and that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. Well done. There's a lot in that paragraph. It's really two paragraphs, but paragraph number six. What's the gist of what you hear in paragraph six? Revelation's over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit still continues his work of illuminating the completed scriptures to our hearts and minds. Yeah. But revelation is over. Therefore, don't believe it when it says, I've got a new word from God. Pretty simple why you can understand why they would throw that in there. This is it. Old Testament, New Testament. Revelation is over. Nothing can be added to Scripture. It's basically end of Revelation. It says the same thing. But why would they put that in there? Probably because somebody was doing this, right? They were adding to Scripture. The church added things all the time. Like we said, the Jewish faith added stuff to Scripture. We add things to Scripture in the Christian religion that we have to be very, very careful of because it's, it's, it's dangerous. So definitely that. No new revelation. This is it. What else do you see? Don't think about what you just said, though. Um, in our modern age, we have uh, all our cults with uh, Mormon, excuse me, Mormonism. Mm-hmm. And they've added, and Joseph Smith's buying something new. Of course, no one's around to see that. You got, uh, even with the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, they add things, mm-hmm. or they take away things. They take away things. There's only 144,000. <laughs> right, you know. And, or they'll take away things. And there's a good sign so that when, whenever I see any of that stuff, I know steer the ship the other way because once you start adding to or even within our you know if you get into the charismatic movement kind of thing there's a lot of feeling emotion is of this, is a right. big big part of, of the charismatic yeah, which is very careful we got to be very careful about that even in, in whatever we do with the with the word of god that our feelings are not moving us beyond what scripture says some yes. things mm-hmm. may feel good or and sound good to us, but is it exactly scriptural and being led by, is it in the book Yeah, directing us? Because a lot of people, anyone come and say this, Holy Spirit, you know, I, I like they added that part in there that even if the Spirit did it, you know, because people, that's the big thing that they ask, Spirit led, so 
gave me the word, mm-hmm. gave me this. And every time I hear that, I just like strike. The Spirit really? gave me this. I'm like, what? Can you back that up with a little scripture right. here? Let's let's make sure. God gave us feelings and emotions. There's no question that those are of God. To his good pleasure, he gives us those. We operate from a corrupt nature mm-hmm. with our emotions, so it's very difficult. Emotions are okay to use and good, but from a salvation perspective, from a faith in life and obedience perspective, don't depend on how you feel. It's very dangerous, to your point. I know whom I have believed. I don't feel. Yeah. I'll say it. You say, I feel. I know. Uh, I like that. You better say something. The, um, the plenary nature of Scripture is, is talked about here. Um, <clears throat> that all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in all these scriptures. Which means if there's anything that's necessary for salvation, it is found in the Holy Scriptures. There is nothing left out. It is complete. The whole nature of God the whole counsel of God concerning these things. See if I got them right. His own glory, salvation, faith, and life. Mm-hmm. It's not about what car to buy, or what house to purchase, or what job to pick, or any of that stuff. That's all important that can be derived in certain ways from Scripture and from the Holy Spirit. But as far as salvation and faith to His glory, that's why this book is written. So when people say, well, I've got to search the scripture to find out what color a car to buy. Dude, just go buy a car. God's not going to tell you to buy a red car. Probably a black one, but not a <laughs> You know, just in, in, a, in a general context, the reason that this is so lengthy and the reason there's so much in this first chapter, and so many paragraphs I had to do that too in this first chapter, if you think about it, the rest of the 31 yeah. chapters in here are all based off of the fact that this is true. Yes. That the Holy yes. Scriptures are what they are. And every one of these points are true because the proof texts from every one of these are drawn from Scripture. And so if this is not true, the entirety of the rest of the document breaks down. Yep. Scripture interprets Scripture. And we yeah. look at these first chapters of the London Baptist Confession, and they are the principles that everything is based on yeah. and built on. I don't know how connected it is to what Jeremy just said, but... Uh, you know, if the, if the God of the universe uh, saves you and indwells you by his Holy Spirit, I, I think there's no way you can't sometimes feel the effects of that. Mm-hmm. However, it is a very sad state of affairs when you, you are a part of a church that um, emphasizes feelings and emotion to the exclusion of the word itself. Yeah. And you yeah. end up with all mm-hmm. kinds of oddball ideas and doctrines. Absolutely. Well, there's some stuff there becomes heretical. But sinful yeah. when you move into the, the human emotion piece of it because of our corrupt nature, because of Adam. Um, that's actually a really good segue into that second paragraph of paragraph six. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding. And on and on and on. Again, the illumination of all of this is from the Holy Spirit. We've said that on a number of these, these paragraphs so far, the importance of the Holy Spirit doing it, not feeling. So here's a somewhat of a trick question. How do you know the difference 
between the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, wooing you in a direction versus your emotions. Uh, I don't know if this is a whole answer is going to hold, but I don't believe the Holy Spirit contradicts His own Word. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If the Holy Spirit is moving you to a direction, it cannot contradict the Word that has been written. It's impossible because it's the same person who wrote it is wooing you and changing your spirit, your heart of flesh, your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. All of that happens because it's the Holy Spirit. Then going back to what you were talking about with the feelings and, and um, people saying, well, the Spirit told me this. I also bristle at that. But before I let the person know that I've bristled at it, I ask them what they mean. What do you mean by that? Did you, like, were you just sitting there one day and, and you heard a voice? Or were you sitting down reading your scripture and it had something to do with this and it now made sense to you? Because that, okay, great, that is definitely the Holy Spirit that quote-unquote told you. He did it from his word. He illumined his word unto your heart. And now you understand the things better of God. And you can use those in your life to, to share with people, to, to tell people. As a matter of fact, this Christmas, we were down at my in-laws, and there's a lady living with my, with my in-laws, and she claims to be a prophetess. And I said, really? What, what does that mean? Like, are you just someone who knows your Bible so well that you can speak into others' lives based upon biblical things? Or does it mean that you're actually hearing new things from God? Oh, yeah, it's definitely new things. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. You, I, Check, I have to disagree with you. <laughs> That's actually excellent segue yeah. into chapter. <laughs> Paragraph 7. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet, those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for, what? Salvation, are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other, that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of ordinary means, may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. What a great statement. I think it is. Mm -hmm. What do you guys hear when you hear that? Indiscriminate. Salvation's indiscriminate. The lowest educated is on the same, same, yeah, clarity, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like the lowest educated is the same as the highest educated when it comes to things of the scripture and being illumined by the Holy Spirit for purposes of salvation. We're the same. Okay, so when you were saved, and I'm not making the assumption that everybody was saved at a moment in time, in their understanding of time. When that moment of clarity hit you, what was it like? Illuminating, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, it was more of a, wow, what happened? Kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, I just, it, everything just felt clear. And all these questions that I had, flowing through my mind at the time just like it just went right in the line and is that because, because you're in a, you're an incredible genius of scripture 
Everything. I was exactly, exactly. I was sitting in a you know, and it's just like God turned the light on. That's yeah. the best way. It's like boom. Yeah. And it's just now. What's amazing about that and another story, somebody quickly give me something that happened at that moment of clarity for them. Well, in addition to clarity, I think there's a, a sense of a joy and peace that came mm-hmm. over because you know you're right with God. Yeah. <clears throat> I I don't have a particular date right. that I was saved. I know that it was moments of yeah, clarity. I, yeah, I know that it was sometime between the last two weeks of October and the first two weeks of November in the year 2000. So about a month span where the Obviously, there was a punctiliar point in time when I was no longer dead, I was alive. I was brought from death to life in that moment. But I don't remember what was going on around that time. All I know is that one day, I am cursing at my mother, calling her the C word. Christian. and then and then i am telling my mother that i love her and i want her to be saved and and she's asking me to to lie about certain things and mom i can't do that anymore Mm -hmm. i can't lie anymore because it's wrong to to me and this culminates in, in this paragraph and it starts talking about so clearly propounded and opened in some place in scripture or the other that power of the holy spirit that does that it's clear and not you because mm-hmm. this is something that is irresistible irresistible grace it's something that's happening that power is the same power that raised christ from the dead mm-hmm. as it says in first peter i think that or is it peter never mind never mind that is amazing when you think about it you were saved by the power that resurrected Christ from the dead. That's just blowed me away. How do you think you can resist that? <laughs> really? You think you have the ability to say no to that? That's heretical. So the one word that kind of encapsulates this, this entire paragraph is the perspicuity of Scripture. Yeah. Yeah, and that simply means what it says here. Not everything is as clear. Not everybody's going to understand all of the things that are in it. But what you need to know, everyone who who is to be saved will understand that amount of stuff. Don't worry about what it says where they said, so then why are people being baptized for the dead? (laughs) That's that's confusing. It's unnecessary for salvation. It is, that's additional information that we have the glory of digging into once we understand salvation and are safe, right? Learned or unlearned, skilled yeah. or unskilled, has no bearing to the Holy Spirit. And that is in, incredibly important that it's not some intellectual understanding of this. But it does say something in that last part, but the unlearned, in a due use of what? Ordinary, Ordinary means. What are ordinary means? Just regular studying, looking at those. Preaching. Right. Reading. I've talked to lots of people that can explain Christian doctrine exactly. But I still find it amazing how 
even though they can understand it from a academic point of view, that when you go through all that and you ask them about why they don't get saved or why they won't trust Christ as Savior, they fall back on works. For some reason, or they default back to work for some reason. Well, I'm a pretty good right reader of the Bible. Exactly. You just explained to me <laughs> that it's not, you know, salvation is by grace alone, but then you turn around and default back to, yeah. well, I, I haven't done this, or I need to do this, mm -hmm. or I need to do that. And I just find that amazing, that how simple it is and mm -hmm. how clear it is, yet when you're lost, it's clear, but it's not clear. It's, this is not about how to be a better person mm -hmm. or to improve your lifestyle or all of those types of things. It, this clearly propounded thing to me, and I'll just speak on my behalf, it was I was sinning against God. Mm -hmm. My life and my ability was an offense to the creator of the universe, of everything that exists. That point is, a, is where you fall down in your face and say, please save me from your own wrath. That's what salvation is. Mm -hmm. uh, chapter 8. The Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old. In the New Testament, Greek, which at the time of the writing, it was most generally known to be to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all the ages, are therefore authentic. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal to them. But because these original tongues are not known to all people of God, who have a right unto, an interest in the scriptures, and are commanded in the fear of God, to read and search them. Therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation unto which they come, that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner and through patience and the comfort of scriptures may have hope. That's nice. That's nice, right? <laughs> I don't know what vulgar languages were. English, probably one of them. Not the, well, these guys. Vulgar or Spanish. Is, uh, yeah. It's it, just the it's just the, the the native tongue of the of the general yeah. population. I think it's related to the vulgate, like the Latin vulgate, like the colloquial language. Yeah, of the, the day. colloquial. Yeah. Availability. Yeah. It is available. That's what they're saying. Because not all understand Hebrew and Greek, translations are not only necessary but acceptable. The right to the scriptures, commanded to read and search the scripture, able to worship God, to give comfort and hope. That's pretty simple. Any thoughts, questions on that? Well, it's obviously against the, the Catholic, you know, kind of <laughs> keeping everything yeah. in Latin. Which isn't even the original language, it's a right? Good language. Yeah. Well, no, uh, it's not even the original language of the scriptures because they were translated from Hebrew into Greek, from Greek into Latin, and now masses only read Latin. Now masses yeah. only done in Latin. So whose whose fault is this? <laughs> I'll say it that way. Where did this come from? You mean availability? No. The, no. the availability issue. Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Because what did he do? He translated it into German. The first time the Bible had been translated outside of the church fathers. 
Some say that was the, one of the greatest things that ever happened from the Martin Luther protest, the ability to translate the Bible into others. Others say there's a lot of bad things that came out of that because other people started to interpret it the way they wanted to interpret it. So two sides to that coin. All right, number nine and 10, which are really nine and 10, finality. Somebody read both nine and 10. The infallible rule of the interpretation of scripture is the scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture, which are not many, but one, it must be searched by other places that speak more clearly. The supreme judge by which all con controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees are of councils, opinions and ancient writers, doctrines of men and private spirits are to be examined and in whose sentence we are to rest <coughs> can be no other but the Holy Scripture delivered by the Spirit into which Scripture so delivered our faith is finally resolved. That kind of summed up everything that we talked about, mm -hmm. about how you interpret it, somebody's thoughts or feelings or some other writing. The best piece, or the, I think the most important piece of both of those paragraphs is Scripture interprets Scripture. Mm -hmm. If you think there's a controversy or a conflict in the Scripture, keep looking. Yeah. Because it does not conflict. It was written by God, inspired by God, written through human hands. And you did a great thing a few months ago on, on uh, basically that, that topic. Um, does anyone have issue with that? Mm -mm. I don't have an issue, but I think you could maybe add unity to finality, the way it's... Oh, yeah. That's a point. Unity. We all have the same book. We can look at this book differently from our experiences, where we grew up, how we grew up, all of the pieces that make us part of the human race, but we still have this scripture, and we can look at scripture and interpret scripture by scripture. Can we do this on our own? Can you just look at Scripture and interpret Scripture without anybody else if you lived on a desert island? Not very well. Somewhat. One thing, <laughs> Scripture really interprets itself in many ways. I mean, you need extra biblical helps, I think, at certain times. Um, you need historical context, yeah. context and all that kind of stuff, too. I think one reason why God brings us together as a body is so that we can bump these things off of one another. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, in, in the way where we keep each other accountable to the, to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. uh, I, my pastor proceeds used to say, you guys need to make sure that I'm preaching mm -hmm. the right thing. I'm a, I'm a human being. Yeah. I'm not a pope. I'm, I'm not infallible. And if I say something wrong, you need to bring that up to me because it may be, I may have done it deliberately. I may have done it, uh, by accident, thinking I had the right interpretation or something. Yeah, and I think we 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 sometimes we still fall back into this Catholic mode of thing where they kept scripture to themselves in in the in Latin and all that. But sometimes we do that when we just rely upon that person yeah. as preaching from the pulpit. It's if they're infallible and then mm -hmm. 
no matter how they, you may look in there and see something and think, oh, I think this goes this way, but that person overrides what you think and gaslights you and you <laughs> rethink what you, you know, and you probably had it right in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to be careful with that, that we're not so dependent upon that teacher that we negate that the we, scripture that we start to veer off. Right, and, or the Holy yeah. Spirit. Or they may be right, and we take something, mm -hmm. and we want our interpretation to be so right that we split off and start another thing. And there is on the wrong foundation too. a reason the church exists. <clears throat> yes, And one of those is this reason, so that we can bounce ideas and make sure that we're interpreting it correctly. Yeah. There's, yeah. One, there's one scripture I always think about is... Um, in um, Paul's writings where he says, and these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they mm -hmm. searched the scriptures daily. Yeah, the Marines. Yep. Right, the Marines. And who were they checking? They were checking Paul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, was I'll check on this the side, you know, and, and, um, and God taught him. So if they would do that to Paul, then should we not do that to other people? Absolutely. And you look at it. We also have to, I mean, if we're going to say that it is the Holy Spirit that illuminates Scripture, then I think the answer to the question of the guy on the island is that, yes, he can be taught. Yes. And, yes, he can interpret the Scripture. Because we just said it's the Holy Spirit who does it. And we also said that everything that's necessary is plainly understood. There are a Anything. lot of other things. There's maybe. a lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah. But... Anything that is necessary for, for salvation, salvation. Mm -hmm. anyone can read it, understand it, be saved. I am a sinner before God to save me. So scary, on that end. I think that's scary for us, but I think also that com what comes with that is time will tell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, so the, the correct interpretation comes through the scripture and they've got it right. Time will tell. That's actually, that helps to close out the, the, the scriptures. We have the scripture. We have creeds. We have confessions. Mm -hmm. We have statements of faith. We have our own personal belief. We have the church. We have each other. All of these work together through time. If there's a statement of faith that came out yesterday, I'm really going to think long and really research that versus something it came from. 1800 years ago that stood the test of time. Time is a really, really important thing as we look at all these pieces. Because then the heresies are eventually revealed. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's my 30 minute prepar preparation on the first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. Praise out of here. Would you? Oh, sure. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, just what we've talked about. Thank you for the fact that we have this body of scripture that you have given us, that we can learn more about you, that we can um, understand um, your uh, your will, Father, and that you've given it to us as the um, from the beginning to the end, the unfolding of your um, your plan and your son's death on the cross, and, and how we are adopted into your family as firstborn. Father, thank you for. Um, this discussion, may it just be encouraging to us, and may we be able to, throughout this class, um, just work through this, this body of, of work and, and understand and know more about you, your ways, your tents, and your precepts. Father, thank you for uh, this body, and thank you for um, the day. May we uh, 
just have open ears and open hearts to uh, what is coming uh, in service um, from Ryan preaching. May I ask these things in your wonderful and precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.